doing all this, and I got the wrong thing pulled up here. So, are you are you blessed this morning? Amen. I'm still at the wrong spot. Amen. I'll get there. Um, while I'm doing all this, Amen. Let me just say it's good to have uh, my second grandson in church with us this morning. Amen. Uh, Jake and Bethany and Oliver are here today. And uh, Bethany was talking about, you know, they've been watching at home. And normally, you know, for the last couple of years, when she's been here on Sunday, after she gets through leading worship, she goes to the nursery and tries to listen in there. She goes, you know, I've actually uh, been a little more connected to the sermons by just sitting in my living room watching. So, But it's good to have... uh, All of them here. God's good to us. Amen. All right. Proverbs 16 and 3. Proverbs 16 and 3. Amen. Praise God. Proverbs 16 and 3. And um, if it's not uh, too hard on you, uh, we're going to look at Psalm 37 and 5. So two openings this morning as we get started. So Proverbs 16 and 3 and then Psalm 37 and 5. So Proverbs 16 and 3, it says, Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. I think we will probably get this far this morning, but if not, let me just go ahead and plant this seed, okay? Nothing has more influence on your life reality than your established thoughts. Nothing has more influence on your life reality than your established thoughts. Praise God. So he's saying, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. And then Psalm 37 and 5 is related to this. It says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So the Holy Spirit has directed us to a study on learning to trust God and the importance of of our learning to trust him. And we see that this word commit could be uh, translated in trust. Um, We see it in 2 Timothy um, where the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul uh, said that I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have, and there's that word again, committed to him against that day. And we often see this word committed to him, and and we think of of that which we have entrusted to him. So if we combine these verses and simplify them, the instructions are commit your works and ways to the Lord. Commit your works and ways to the Lord. Now, I want to do a little bit of review this morning, and I'm going to try to do it as quickly as possible, but I'm, I feel like, you know, there's things that we've already talked about. Maybe you were here for those uh, sermons. Maybe you were not. Um, but either way, uh, let's, let's do some quick reviewing, okay? Um, first of all, we said the fruit of trusting God is an inward knowing. The fruit of trusting God is an inward knowing. Placing your trust in God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart. Trusting in God moves the promises of God from theories in your head to proven foundations in your heart. Now, really, those three takeaways from the Word of God, things that we have dug out of, mined out of the Scriptures, are things that we're still building upon, things that we're still... That's one of the reasons I wanted to go ahead and make these statements at the the beginning of of the message this morning, because we, we haven't shifted gears and moved on to something else. 
And really that, that middle one, placing your trust in God, will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart. Let's go back to it. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. See, we want our thoughts to become established and settled before we commit. We want to know all the answers. We want to know all the outcomes. We want to know all the results. We want to know where this path goes, where that path goes, where that path goes, and where that path goes before we decide which one we're going to commit ourselves to. So notice what, what results in all this. When, when, we, when we haven't committed ourselves to a course of action, there's still so many things up in the air, so to speak, in our, in our thoughts. So our, it's impossible for our thoughts to ever become established unless we first commit our works to the Lord. And so once we commit our works to the Lord, the fruit of that is <clears throat> thoughts being established in your heart that cannot be established any other way. All right, let's keep going here through our, our review. Committing your works and ways to the Lord means trusting God enough to do what he says and the way he says to do it. A reluctance to commit means a reluctance to trust. And remember, we are reluctant to commit because commitments limit our options and restrict our freedom. And man, that's true with any commitment. When you commit to one course of action, you've just closed the door on all the other courses of action. When, when you choose to go steady, become engaged, and marry one young lady, one young man, you've just closed the door on all the other young men and young women that would have been options for you prior to that commitment. Are you following me this morning? Now, we don't like our options uh, limited and our freedoms restricted. And so because of that, we are reluctant to commit. We say, I got to keep my options open. See, one of the great problems that we have in the body of Christ is that God's people are keeping too many options open. Going back to Egypt should not be an option for you. It should not be a consideration for you. Are you hearing me this morning? It should not be a consideration for you. Not that there's ever been any situation in, in our marriage where it was even, even a consideration, but the, the pastor who did uh, mine and Pam's premarital counseling, uh, he gave us a lot of great wisdom. Pastor John Loper, he gave us a lot of great wisdom about marriage. And one of the things that he said was that the word divorce should never even be spoken out of our mouths. There should never even be an option. Right? It's not funny, and I'm not telling you to be a, but this, I'm not trying to make a joke, but this, this is kind of the idea. There was a young lady who wanted a certain caterer for her wedding, and the caterer was double booked, and she was very aggravated about that. But her comment was, well, it's not like this is the only time I'm going to get married. I'll use that caterer next time. See, that, but that's, that's the approach that a lot of people have. So we're reluctant to commit because commitments limit our options and restrict our freedom. Commitment, though, is the missing link to trusting God. Trust and commitment must go together. Limiting your commitment will always limit your trust. Commitment pulls the trigger of trust. So we've asked a question. Why do so many people want to trust God, but so few actually do? Well, it comes back to the commitment thing. We want to trust God, but we can't trust Him unless we commit ourselves to, to doing what He instructs us to do the way He instructs us to do it. So you cannot trust God without committing yourself to him and his ways 
of doing things. And once again, we're reluctant to commit because commitments limit our options and restrict our freedom. Now, I've asked you to write this question down. I'm going to ask you again if you haven't done it because it's one that that you need to answer for yourself. I'm not talking about right now. I'm talking about in your quiet time with the Lord. I I want you to ask yourself this question. Ask the Lord to help you answer this question. What have I, what have you truly committed to the Lord? The reality is this. No matter how hard we try, we cannot live the life God created us to live without committing ourselves to it. Now, some of you are going to say amen or owe me to this because you're experiencing this right now in your life, okay? Spiritual warfare increases the closer you come to committing yourself to the works and ways of God. (laughs) Am I right about this? The devil doesn't want you to commit. The devil does not want you to commit. Now, once you commit, he's still going to try to get you to back off that commitment. But he really and truly does not want you to commit. But go back to the day you were born again. Every devil in hell tried to stop you, but when you made up your mind, I'm, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, they couldn't stop you when, you when you committed yourself to receiving salvation, when you committed yourself to being baptized in the Holy Spirit, when you committed yourself to tithing, when you committed yourself to, to being faithful to, to God's house and to God's people. See, all of these commitments that we've made as we've grown and developed in the things of God, the devil opposed you at, at every uh, juncture, but um, once you pull that trigger of commitment and took that next step, um, we see that we then what move on uh, from there. Now, <clears throat> commit has a dual meaning. And this is where we ended on, on last uh, Sunday morning. Commit has a dual meaning. Number one, commit means to entrust to the care of another. To entrust to the care of another. So when we talk about trusting in God, this is often what, what comes to, to many people's minds. For instance, uh, when, when the Bible says to cast your care upon the Lord, to literally roll it off of your back onto Him because He cares for you. Um, this would be what it means to, to literally, the, the, the language in both the Greek and the Hebrew, where we see commit your, your you know, things to the Lord, and, and then in the New Testament, both the Hebrew language and the Greek language, the, the word picture painted is, is it rolling off of your back, rolling it over onto God? So to entrust to the care of another. You've got some situation, some problem, some issue in your life, and it's been troubling you, it's been bothering you, it's been worrying you. Uh, you don't like the results you're getting in that area, what have you. And so it's like, man, we're going to trust God. We're going to trust God with our marriage. We're going to trust God with our children. We're going to trust God with our finances. We're going to trust God with my job. We're going to trust God. All of that, please, I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you that's wrong. It's, it's 100% um, what we need to do. We need to trust God in all of these areas. But there's a dual meaning to trusting God. It's more than just saying, okay, God, I'm giving this to you. So what's the dual meaning? The first is to entrust to the care of another. This is, okay, Father, I'm not going to bear the burden of this anymore. I'm going to pass it over to you. But the second part of what it means to commit is to fully dedicate, obligate, or devote one's own self to a course of action. Now, I told you last week that if I asked you to come to my house and help me move, and then me and Pam got in the truck and left 
to go shopping while you move, then I didn't really ask you to come help me. I asked you to come do it for me. And a lot of times when we ask God to help us, what we're really asking him is to come do it for us, not to help us. Help implies a cooperative effort. Help implies you doing one part and God doing, uh, you know, one part and, and the two of you working together. You're right. He, he is a helper. He identifies the Holy Spirit as a helper. He wants to help you. You have a helper in heaven. You have a helper on the earth. Jesus is your helper in heaven. The Holy Spirit is your helper on the earth. But help and doing it for you are not the same thing. So here's the dilemma. Don't miss this. This is really, really important. Here, here is where learning to trust God breaks down for a lot of God's people. We want the benefit of part one without doing part two. What do I mean by that? We want the peace that comes from trusting a problem in our life with, you know, over to God's care. We, we want the results that come from trusting God. We want the, the emotional soundness and well-being that comes from casting our care upon the Lord and in, in trusting this into the care of another. So we, we want the peace that comes from trusting God. We want the answers and the results that come from trusting God without ever fully dedicating ourselves to His course of action. So do you see what I'm talking about here? Or more importantly, do you see what the Holy Spirit's trying to say to us this morning? Is we want to entrust our issues and our problems and our worries and our, and our, and our, and our you know, areas of, of, of struggle. We want to trust God with it. We're going we're to trust God to work this out for us. We want to trust God to help us with this, right? We sing about it. We pray about it. We talk about it. We even make confessions. You know, I'm, this is my confession, right? But then we want to withhold committing ourselves dedicating ourselves, obligating ourselves, devoting ourselves to Father's course of action where that's concerned in our lives. So again, God helping you and God doing it for you are two different things. Committing a problem to the Lord without ever committing your works or ways to the Lord will never produce a lasting solution. See, this is where a lot of people are confused because what it often boils down to is we're trying to trust God. Listen to me very carefully. We're trying to trust God to fix a problem that our current course of action is creating. It's not that God's like, well, if you're not, it's not like God's like, if you're not going to do it my way, I'm going to take my bat and ball and go home. That's not what he's saying here. It's counterproductive for you to say, I'm going to trust God to bring my wayward children home, but continue, you you see what I'm saying? To continue in a course of action that is not productive to that end. I'm saying this so many different ways. God can only keep what you commit to Him, and you will never effectively commit anything to Him without committing your works and ways to Him. Now, we're going we, to, I'm, I'm trying to stay focused. I, there's a, several different things that we could talk about this morning, but I really feel like there's a certain course that we need to continue on. But let me, let me just get this part said, okay, and then we'll keep going. 
trying something is not the same as fully committing yourself to it. Trying something is not the same as fully committing yourself to it. And again, this is where a lot of people have become confused. This is where a lot of people even have falsely accused God of, of not coming through for them, of letting them down, of not, of not helping them, and, and, and so forth and so on, right? It's because we decided we would try it. No, see, you don't, you don't try this. Are you hearing me? This is not something you try. You commit yourself to it. You commit yourself to it. We, we could probably use some more even like understanding of what, it, of what a commitment really looks like. Amen. <laughs> Brother Copeland talks about making a quality decision. I don't know if you've ever heard him teach on that. Making a quality decision. What's the difference between a decision and a quality decision? The time that you invest before you make the decision. Let me, let me give you a couple of words that are very important, okay? And we'll bring them back up in the days ahead as well, okay? Um, is it a forethought or is it an afterthought? Is it a forethought or is it an afterthought? See, for a lot of people, turning to God, trying to roll something over onto God, trying to access some kind of help from God... It's an afterthought for them. Meaning what? Meaning they've already tried everything else. They've already done it their, their way and, and, and all this for so long. And so now it's like, well, we're at the end of our rope. And so God becomes the afterthought instead of the forethought. When it comes to your money, is what you do for God and His kingdom and and his things on the earth, is that a forethought or is it an afterthought? Are you seeing it? Is, it? is it a forethought? Is it something that you think about, you plan for, you purpose in your heart? That's what the Bible says. Let each man, let each person give unto God as he or she purposes in their heart to do it. See, if you purpose in your heart before you give, that makes it a forethought. It's something that you've thought about beforehand. You've taken it before the Lord. You're being led by the Spirit. You understand what the Scriptures say about this. Now we're giving it in faith. We're giving it cheerfully because we understand what's going on here. We understand what God's trying to do here. We understand what He's trying to teach us here. We understand that He's not trying to teach us to live with less, but He's trying to get us to participate in this kingdom economy so that He can increase us, so that we can prove ourselves trustworthy with money, so that He can then trust us with more money, all of these things. See, all of that is a forethought. So now when you come before God with your tithe, you come before God with your offering, it's something that you're committed to. As opposed to, well, I tried that tithe and stuff and it didn't work. Well, you know, I tried, you know, this and that and whatever and just, you know, I tried that confession stuff. I've heard people say that before. I tried all that. That's, that's, you know. See, again, trying something is not the same as fully committing yourself to it. Doing something as an afterthought is not the same as a forethought. Amen? All right, so Psalm 37 and 5. It says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and he shall bring it to pass. 
So we love that he shall bring it to pass part. I don't know about you, but I love that he shall bring it to pass part. That means, that means God at work in our lives. That, mean, that means God doing the impossible in our lives. This means Father God, uh, his kingdom coming, his will being done in our lives on the earth as it is in heaven. But notice what he says before that. He says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Commit, trust, and he will bring it to pass. Do you see your part in this passage? Do you see God's part in this passage? Our part is to, tr- to commit and to trust. And then God's part is to bring it to pass. Do you see now how him bringing it to pass in your life doesn't mean you laying on the sofa doing nothing? Now, let's go back to Proverbs 16 and 3. He says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again. This is really important. Nothing has more influence on your life reality than your established thoughts. When we come over into the New Testament, we see a lot said about the renewing of our minds. Sometimes that word renewing the mind could be translated, maybe even better translated, the reconditioning of our minds. Because the idea of renewing something means returning it back to new. When it comes to our minds, our minds are not a blank slate. Our minds have already had different ways of seeing things and understanding things and doing things uh, written on it. It's, it's, it's things that have been uh, not just formed in our thinking, but in some cases, especially where, where different traumatic events and things of that nature in our lives are concerned, it, it's, it's thoughts that have been forged in our minds. So what is implied here that's not clearly stated is commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established, is that we already have some level of thoughts and thinking established in our lives. So when we talk about the renewing of our mind, or when we talk about the reconditioning of our mind, we could also talk about the reestablishing of our thoughts. Let me see if I can say it another way. We all have thoughts and thinking currently established in our lives that needs to change. Things that have developed in us over time, ways of of thinking that have developed in, in us over time, established thoughts and thinking that needs to change. That needs, to be re- that needs to be renewed, that needs to be reconditioned. We need the, the wrong uprooted and removed from us and the new established uh, in, in our lives and in our hearts and minds. Again, nothing has more influence on your life than your established thoughts. In many ways, discipleship could be described as this process of the areas in our soul, in your mind, 
that are currently at odds with what God has said, the ways of God, the works of God, the ways of God, the, the things that God does and the way that God does them, okay? Again, we already have a way of doing things, right? We, this, when this comes up, this is how we respond. When, when this happens, this is what we do. When we feel this, is, this way, this is what we say. That's what you would call an automatic thought. And an automatic thought is coming from a level of established thinking in you. It's something that's become established. Think of it this way. If, if it's not yet established, it's still up for debate. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. If it's not established, then it, 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 maybe it is, maybe it's not. Maybe it could be this way, maybe it could be that way. Maybe we should do this or maybe we should do that. This is, you know, where things are still, we might say, up in the air. But something that is established in your heart, in your, in your life, again, th- this is a go-to. I mean, you push the button, you respond that way every time. It's an automatic thought, it's an automatic response, right? And, th- and these are the things that the devil not only works over time to try to establish in your heart and mind, um, these are the things um, that, that he does not ever want to change. Because remember, you can be a born-again believer just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus himself. But if you think opposite from that, your life reality is going to reflect the image you have of yourself even more so than the true image of who you are in Christ Jesus. So nothing has more influence on your life reality than your established thoughts. I want to say that about 17 more times. Proverbs 23 and 7 says it this way, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We know that thoughts generate emotions and emotions influence our choices. You could say that life is choice-driven and <clears throat> I, when we say that, obviously, like, think about just what, where you are right now this morning and the choices that you've made that got you here. You could have chosen to sleep in. You could have chosen to stay at home. You could have chosen to go to another church. You could have chosen to go uh, to the park. You could could have, are you following what I'm saying? Um, You're here right now. You could be choosing right now in this moment to listen to what I'm saying, or you could be be choosing right now to be thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch. You you understand what I'm saying? There's choices, choices, choices. And so we often think of the devil, you know, tempting us at the, at the point of our choices. My friend, he doesn't play checkers, he plays chess. The devil is trying to get thoughts established in your life because thoughts, established thoughts, thoughts that are in your heart, they are what produce the emotions that you experience in your life. Praise God. I'm not trying to offend you. Some people get offended at me when I try to start talking about this. I'm telling you, you say, well, Pastor Mark, that's what you say. No, no, that's what the Bible says. That's what your creator father says. Anxiety in the heart of a man or a woman causes depression. Depression has a cause. And it's anxiety. And anxiety has an answer. It's called trusting God. Anxious thoughts will produce the emotion of depression in your life. And then the emotions that we're experiencing influence the choices that we make. If you've been dealing with depression, 
two gold stars for you this morning for showing up. It was much harder for you to get here than someone who's not been dealing with depression. And that's true. When you're depressed, what do you want to do? You want to stay in bed. When you're depressed, you want to pull the blinds and isolate yourself. Thoughts generate emotions, and emotions influence our choices. The devil's not just trying to get you to make bad choices. He's trying to establish wrong thinking in your life that will continually generate wrong emotions that will continually influence the choices that you make. The Lord gave me a statement, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And um, I don't know if I've said it here yet or not. I think I have, but maybe, I don't know. But let's just go with it again this morning. A better life begins with better thinking. A better life begins with better thinking. Now, some people may say, no, 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 Pastor Mark, that's not right. A better life begins with Jesus. Unless you think Jesus was a Jewish hypocrite. You see what I'm talking about? Certainly, certainly Jesus can revolutionize your life. But if your thinking about Jesus is wrong, if what you think about him isn't right, are you following what I'm saying? If you just think he was a good man, if you just think he was a teacher, if you just think he was a prophet, if you, if you just think you know, he uh, made the wrong people in, 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 in Judaism mad and, and it cost him his life, or he went against the Roman Empire and, and, and only fools do that. In other words, it, are you following what I'm saying? I, certainly a better life begins with Jesus, but if you take it even further than that, that's why he preached, change the way you think. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came to give everybody a better life. But he, his first message, John the Baptist, the forerunner for Jesus, Jesus, the 12 holy apostles, then the, um, then the first 70 missionaries, they all preach the same message. Change the way you think. Because if you keep thinking the way you've always thought, you're going to clean miss what God has sent his son to this earth to do in your life. So a better life begins with better thinking. Which means we need a better source for our thoughts. Amen. Are you still with me this morning? Now, <clears throat> let's be real about it, okay? Changing the way you have done things your entire life is no small thing. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like, oh man, thank you so much for telling me that, Pastor Mark. I think I'll just go change it. Every established thought I've got right now. You see, changing the way you have done things your entire life, it's no small thing. Man, the Lord has been teaching me some things just in my own personal life, you know. Areas where I would have, you'd have asked me three months ago, six months ago, if I trusted him in that area, I would have told you yes in a heartbeat. <laughs> He's showing me not so much. Think about it for a minute. Trusting God means going against the grain of your own understanding. Trusting God means going against the grain of your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. Remember now, you can trust in God with all your heart or you can trust in yourself with all your brain. What does it mean to lean to your own understanding? I know some of this is review, but remember, what makes sense, seems right, and feels safe is the default setting for the unrenewed human mind. Does it make sense? Does it seem right? Does it feel safe? 
for most people, even most of God's people, if it doesn't pass at least one, are you following what I'm saying? If, if it doesn't make sense, even if it seems right and feels safe, we probably won't do it. And remember, commit your works and your ways to the Lord. The way God does things and, and the things that he's going to instruct you to do, not only is it not going to make sense seem right or feel safe to you, it's going to be offensive to what makes sense seems right and feels safe to you. It's going against the grain of what makes sense seems right and feels safe to you. So this is the default setting. We talk about this. I'm not going to go back into all that sermons. I think there's actually a sermon entitled Changing the Default Setting of Trust in Your Heart. But the default setting for most people, in other words, when we say a default setting, we're talking about what's established, what's already been established in, 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 a, in a man or a woman's heart. And that default setting, that already pre-established um, setting, goes back to, does it make sense, does it seem right, does it feel safe? Giving God 10% of your paycheck will never make sense to the carnal mind. It'll never seem right, and it'll, it'll never feel safe. Never. Never. Trusting God begins with going against the default settings of your established thoughts. So let's, let's come back to it then. Do you see what we're talking about? We, we keep waiting for our thoughts to be established before committing our actions, our course of action to the Lord. We keep waiting for it to all make sense to us. We keep waiting for it to all seem right to us. We keep waiting for it to all feel safe to us. And once we get that established, then we're going um, you know, to commit to doing it. I was teaching on some of these things, um, I don't know, eight weeks ago at the foundry. And um, I've, I had more than one person come up to me and I said, you know, after class, Pastor Mark, I appreciate what you're explaining to me. You know, I said, um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I mean, probably not, you know, like when I first get out of here, but at some point. See, again, notice now, I, and I, listen, I'm, I, I, I understand, I feel them, Okay. It's because the born-again spirit on the inside of us is like wanting to jump and, and, you know, just get to the edge and take off running into doing, doing what God says and doing it the way God says do it, right? But then there's this other part of us that says, well, hold on a second. That, that don't, I, just, I still don't make sense to me. That don't seem right to me. That doesn't, that doesn't feel safe to me. So the only way, now think about it. So what he's saying then is the only way your thoughts will ever be established in these areas when it doesn't make sense, seem right, or feel safe to you is if you just go ahead and commit to doing it. That doesn't mean, see, this is what a lot of people say. Just do it scared, do it afraid, just just be miserable about it. No, no, that's that's not what he's saying here. He's saying that if you'll commit your works to the Lord, your thoughts... That are, that are annoying you and keeping you awake at night and, and I know I should do this but I don't want to do that and if I commit here then that means I won't be able to do this and if we actually say we're going to live this way then that means we can't live this way. All of that, see, that's, that's what it's like to try to live without your thoughts being established. It's amazing how when you make the commitment 
how all of a sudden your thoughts become established in that area. Can you take a little more? That is a direct quote from listening to many, many hours of Keith Moore. That's what he says. When it starts getting a little tight, he says, can you take a little more? So amen. All right, so let's go this one again. Trusting God begins with going against the default settings of your established thoughts. For most people, survival, also known as self-preservation, is the foundation for their established thoughts. Now somebody said, just hear me now, somebody said in their heart and mind just a minute ago, when I read this, they're like, makes sense to me. <laughs> See, the Lord's right. <laughs> makes sense to me. What's wrong with this, right? For most people, survival, survival or self-preservation is the foundation for their established thoughts. So when we talk about the foundation of something, we, we, now if we're going to keep using the computer analogy, you've got the default setting, but then you've got the operating system. And so, so the entire basis for how they're geared and hardwired and how they approach every day of their life is they approach it with a survival mindset. They approach it with a self-preservation mindset. See, what the devil doesn't tell you when he's glamorizing self-preservation is that what self-preservation really is, is is a fear of death in disguise. For most people, survival or self-preservation is the foundation for their established thoughts. What's wrong with this? Well, what's wrong with this is you, you were never created or intended or meant to live for yourself. You follow, let, let me give you a verse on this. It's a very important verse, and we see... We see this multiple times in the teachings of Jesus, not just four times in four Gospels. We see it multiple times in multiple Gospels, okay? Here it is in Matthew 16 and 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is not talking about you physically dying. He's talking about you trying to save yourself. He's talking about you taking control for your own life and and living your life with a self-preservation mindset. He said that is the fastest way for you to not just lose your life. When he's talking about losing your life, he's not talking about you. Now, it could mean you dying young, but that's, that's that's not what he's talking about here. When he's talking about losing your life, he's talking about the life that, that God wants you to live, the life that he created you to live. He's talking about, um, you know, the, 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 the life on the, uh, the quality of life. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The condition of life that, that, that he has for you to experience and enjoy and, and, and become an example of for other people. But remember, we were created to live on a level that we can never get to by our own efforts. There's not enough money, there's not enough hard work, there's not enough sacrifice to get you into the life that God created you to live. So what does commitment do? Commitment eliminates the option of other courses of action. It's that simple. You've got three different ways to do it. You can stay in that place of indecision, and that's where a lot of people, the Bible says it, different verses, the Bible says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. What does that mean? 
It means people live their lives in a state of, of non-committal. They live, they live their lives in a state of you know, trying to figure out how to take three courses of action at the same time. In 1 Kings 18 and 21, he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? Or how about this one from the New King James? How long will you falter between two opinions? He went on to say, If the Lord is God, then let's worship Him. And if Baal is God, then let's worship Him. But it's time for us to commit to one or the other. See, just me talking like that stirs something up in us. It does in me. Does it in you? I mean, it's, man, if this is the way we're supposed to do it, then let's do it. But see, this is the thing. We, 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 first of all, we've got to figure out what is God's ways, what, what, is it he wants, what is it that He wants us to do, and how is it that He wants us to do it. As long as we're uncommitted, things will be up for debate and negotiation in our lives. One way we might could say this in established thought is you've got to get it settled. You've got to get it settled. As long as we are uncommitted, things will be up for debate and negotiation in our lives, and this is exactly where the devil wants you. Commitment slams the door on all other courses of action. Stand with me. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. There's something that you need to understand about your enemy, okay? Your enemy, your adversary, the devil, is a relentless negotiator, okay? He is constantly trying to negotiate you into a less than position. He is constantly trying to negotiate you into a position that seems right but actually puts you at a disadvantage. He's constantly trying to trick you and negotiate you into accepting um, uh, terms and methods that will ultimately disqualify you from what God has to give to you and what it is that God has for you to do in this life. He is a relentless negotiator. He's always trying to talk you into something less than God's highest and best in your life. Whether you have ever heard it said that way or not, you have dealt with his negotiations already this morning. He, he is constantly trying to talk you into this or to that or doing this instead of that. And, and, and he doesn't start with, um, don't go to church, go to the bar and get drunk. That's not what he does, right? He's like, look, don't go to church, you can go next week. They got a class on Wednesday, go to that. You can watch it online later. See, in other words, he's always trying to, to take whatever it is that God's wanting you to commit yourself to and, and, and his works and his ways, the enemy's always trying to talk you into doing something a little bit less than that, then a little bit less than that, then a little bit less than that, then a little bit less than that. And here's what I've learned in my own life. Until and unless I make the commitment, it's always on the negotiating table for the devil. 
at some point, you've got to establish some absolute non-negotiables in your life. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. It's not up for negotiation. This is what we do. This is how we do it. This is when we do it. And this is the heart that we do it with. And if we have to write it in red ink in the front of our Bibles and put it a copy of it on every mirror in our house and on, on, on our refrigerator and on, on the corner of our television, this is, this is who we are. This is, this is why we are. This is the commitment that we've made. And 